Welcome to episode number 165, The Lies He Tells You. I am your host, Damon Soka. Now, I don't like to talk about Lucifer. I simply don't like to give him a stage. He is the destroyer, perdition, the evil one. His whole design and purpose is to make every one of our father's children, you and me, as miserable as he has become himself. However, I know that if you deal with mental illness, you are going to tangle with Lucifer. It has been my experience that for reasons unknown to me, Lucifer appears to have greater access to us spiritually when we suffer through our episodes. Now, whether this is because we have trouble hearing and feeling the spirit, or the depressing, anxiety-laden feelings, or even the bulletproof mania, I'm not sure. And I'm not entirely sure the reason matters. What matters is that he does. This is actually important to understand if you are suffering with mental illness in any form. When one descends into the dark abyss of depression, or the prison of anxiety, or even the lofty highs of mania, Lucifer finds a weakened state of emotional resistance, and he preys upon it mercilessly. Now, Before this gets too dreary, and we think that he might have some influence over and above the Savior, let me be firm in saying that Lucifer cannot go beyond the equality equation. Lucifer can have no greater access than the Savior does, meaning access to our souls and to the influence of our mind is restricted in the sense that the level of access that Lucifer has is always matched and equally influenced by the Spirit of the Lord. And when we have made covenants, the Lord always has the upper hand, even when it might not feel like it. The Lord will never give him greater access to your soul unless you do. However, it is important to understand that by our own will, we can give him greater access. And that is the first lesson for today. Now, when I think of Lucifer and his methodologies, I'm actually always reminded of Lehi's dream. The Lord, through that dream, exposed Lucifer's methodologies, his lies, and certainly the countermeasures we need to employ when we are in the fray of the fight. Now, I recommend that you quickly read or reread or listen to chapter 8 of 1 Nephi and the subsequent chapters to refresh your memory, as I will not be repeating the entire dream here. I will expect that you have at least perused it or at the very least know the major points of the dream and the message. As we are going to look at Lucifer's methodologies, it's important to understand why they were included. The Lord knows that the best defense is a good offense and he provided keen insights into Lucifer throughout the Book of Mormon and the strategies he has used from the very early beginnings in the pre-mortal world. You will find Lehi's dream and a few conversations with a couple of antichrists. However, today we are going to stick with just Lehi's dream. Now, as this dream of Lehi, Lehi's begins, we find Lehi in a large field, who, when he has prayed, has a vision open to him of the world we now live in. He can see the entire scenario from beginning to end, and is even given some experiences himself to fully understand the meaning of the dream. The entire dream centers around the tree of life and the fruit of that tree. Now We understand the tree to be the Savior, and the fruit of that tree, which causes great joy, is the love of God, and what the Savior referred to as a change of heart necessary to become celestial. The entire dream is a vision of various types of individuals and their interactions with the tree and people partaking of the fruit of that tree. 
we find that at the head of the fountain of water there was an extended plain from which the people were walking towards the tree. Lehi states the multitudes were pressing forward to obtain the fruit of the tree. Now this is where we encounter Lucifer's first method of madness. Lucifer is responsible for the mists of darkness. The intent is simply to obscure the tree, the path to the tree, and even the rod of iron if one steps away from the path. This obscuring of the tree comes in almost every form, but it is interesting that Lehi notes three in particular, and then adds a fourth unique type of diversion not necessarily related to the mists of darkness. The first are those individuals who get lost on strange roads. The second are those who are drowned in the filthy water. The third are those individuals feeling their way to the great and spacious building. And fourth are those individuals who make it to the tree and partake, but find embarrassment in partaking of the fruit. Now let's talk about the mists of darkness first. The mists of darkness are intended to obscure the path to the tree, really in any way possible. The mists are not darkness itself, but mists, meaning they obscure but not entirely block the light. This is Lucifer's main weapon, of main weapon, which is disinformation. Lucifer will use any type of disinformation to obscure the true path to the tree. Now this has taken on many forms throughout the centuries, but it is always the same. Lucifer mixes truth and lies, scriptures and philosophies of men, the truths of science twisted into the rationalities of men. While he does, while he does broadcast these things, in a grand manner everywhere. He knows that any good marketing plan requires individualizing the message. He knows us intimately, as he lived with us for a long time in the pre-earth life before his rebellion, and he has watched us closely here on earth. Now, members of the Lord's Church are less than one-tenth of one percent of the population of the earth. He is fully aware of each of us, consistently. He understands the weakness we carried with us to the earth, and he knows what entices us and what does not. In addition to knowing those enticements and weaknesses, he also knows that poison is most easily ingested in small portions over time and with a great deal of sweetener. So while he likes to lie big, he knows that to get us to walk away from the path, he needs us to step away in small degrees. Most individuals do not walk away from the pathway running or leaping. They walk away by degrees, taking their hand off the iron rod while remaining close to it. Then, of course, they become distracted by the world around them, and they leave the path for a time, but keep it in sight. They may return to the path and maybe even touch the rod, but then become distracted again. The key is the distraction and the disengagement with the path and the rod through enticement and, of course, disinformation. One must become comfortable with the distraction and believe the disinformation to be full truth. Then Lucifer moves to the next phase of his campaign. Once one is comfortable without the rod and the path, he can then entice individuals into one of two pathways. The first is playing in the water. It is interesting that the river of filthy water is not far off the path, and most certainly the water is shallow near the banks. It is also certain that the water feels refreshing and appears to lack the danger so often reinforced by those who know about it. But the intent is to get one comfortable enough to try the deeper water until they are fully engulfed. 
Now the water is also noted as filthy, but most certainly the mists of darkness obscures that fact. Also, even muddy water when held in your hand doesn't appear that muddy. Once in the water, the muddy bank and slippery slope make it difficult to return to shore, and most certainly the mists of darkness do not allow one to see the rod entirely from the river. Swimming for a time might not be an issue, but it is not about the first swim, but exhausting one's strength. This river is the drug, alcohol, sexual promiscuity, and enticing chemicals of the world. They can seem very harmless at first, and even enticing and refreshing, but it does not take long to drown in them and feel as though there is no way out. This is often one of the most difficult problems of mental illness. The pain and suffering caused by the illness begs for relief, and the cool, refreshing water chemistry can feel good, but in the end it will become all-consuming. This will be Lucifer's first lie. He knows that the mortal body seeks for relief from pain, and the more intense and the longer the pain, the more enticing, more enticing are the mortal substitutes for pain relief. Now, this is not using medications for their intended purpose. We can do that still holding on to the rod. These chemicals are the filthy ones. The ones that entangle, entice, and require increasing amounts. These are the chemicals used to self-medicate and provide for temporary solutions. This will always be a significant problem with mental illness because not only does it cause suffering, not only does mental illness cause suffering, but emotional confusion. And it is why Lucifer uses this tactic most often and actually never leaves it alone. When we are suffering, we will always be offered temporary solutions that become terrible masters. He wants our minds and bodies further clouded and overcome with addiction. When we are suffering, this is the first level of disinformation and lie that must be avoided at all costs. There is no value in short-term chemical solutions. Drugs, alcohol, pornography, and enticing chemicals used in the form of self-medication is truly his number one methodology and almost a near-perfect disinformation because it gives false positive reinforcement at first or feels harmless and even helpful until one is fully engulfed and engaged and then the negative consequences and drowning become all too real. The next lie is somewhat more subtle but just as effective. It doesn't use chemistry. It is the art of rational distraction. This is where the philosophies of men collide with gospel truth. It is so easy from the mortal perspective and a veil over our previous experience to become rationally disoriented. The main tactic here is to use the rational philosophies to bludgeon the truth into submission. The key to this tactic though is doubt and most often it is in combination with the physical senses. If you can't see it, hear it, touch it, smell it, or taste it, then it doesn't exist. When Lucifer attacked the Savior during his initial temptations, he consistently used the word if. What Lucifer needs is a window of doubt. You have never seen God. How do you know he exists? People see hallucinations all the time. What if prophets are just hallucinating? How do you know the law of chastity is true? Your religion, your belief, doesn't seem to match with what science and psychology are seeing. How do you even know if you have a spirit inside of your body? Isn't religion just 
made up to explain things people don't understand yet? Science has true answers, not some feelings of the heart. Feelings are just imaginations of the heart and don't really matter in the sense of what is real. Now, I could go on, and I am certain you could too, but you get the message. Lucifer needs doubt, and then doubt to become a quasi-truth. This is where the forbidden roads appear, and they stretch on forever. These are the ever-learning but never able to, able to come to the truth type of roads, and they are consistently filled with doubt. Once you start down this road of doubt and disillusionment, you will never find anything of any value. Although Lucifer will tell you that the new truth you have found is extremely valuable. Everything is a distraction on this road, and value is a shifting sand dune dictated by the whims of a society void of moral stability and full of a groupthink mentality. These roads are so very enticing with mental illness. One will have a great difficulty trusting emotions and feelings because of the nature of mental illness, and it is very easy to lean entirely upon the rational and the scientific. There is nothing wrong with seeking out knowledge in a rational way and learning about this world. But rational mentality leads down some very dark moral roads. When you look at everything in a rational way without the ideals of moral values and a true understanding of eternity, lines can become quickly blurred, and then all paths seem identical in value. It is very easy to become lost in rational, feel-good, quasi-truth. Lucifer knows how difficult it is for those who suffer with mental illness to trust their feelings. So often, their feelings have been altered by the illness, and it can be very difficult to trust. His second lie is to distrust your feelings and to fully believe everything that is rational. Now, if Lucifer cannot obtain us with these two powerful enticements aimed directly at the weaknesses of the illnesses, he will use another method of inclusion and popularity. He will call the truth exclusionary, bigoted, and hypocritical. He will tell you that you don't belong, but that there is a place you can belong and feel very welcomed and appreciated. This is the praise of the world and their philosophies. But there is something interesting about these praise people. You must agree with them and become part of them to be included. These are the people feeling their way to the great and spacious building. Sadly, they are just as exclusionary and hypocritical as they call the truth seekers. Just like the gospel, they have rules for inclusion and acceptance. You must think in a particular way, dress a particular way, listen to a particular type of music, live in a particular neighborhood, have a particular body type. You must alter who you are to become like them. It is so very interesting how a group that claims to be so inclusionary actually is quite exclusionary to anyone who does not fully believe as they do. Yes, I understand that this happens within the gospel as well. The gospel is full of imperfect people and at times very imperfect people. And they have difficulty including people not of their particular way of believing. But the gospel teaches that we should include continue to include and love those who are struggling in various ways. But that is rarely true with these other praise type of groups. What is most interesting is that all other groups tend to be selfish in nature, while the gospel consistently persuades us to look beyond ourselves and to extend our lives to others without thought of reward. 
This is the hallmark of these praise groups in the great and spacious building. They are egocentric, and their concern is what others think of them. They build spacious buildings around themselves that feel solid and are beautiful, but have no foundation. Everything they build ends at death. Their philosophies, their rules, their entire way of life. The reason that those at the tree can extend help and aid and look outside themselves is that they are built upon a foundation of truth. They actually internalize that truth rather than build palaces around them. They have an internal, immovable foundation of truth. Now, this type of worldly enticement by the praise people can be very alluring to an individual suffering with mental illness because praise feels good. And so does the inclusion offered by accepting their philosophies. The praise of others and their inclusion causes chemicals in the brain to react favorably. And that praise can become a terrible drug, actually not unlike cocaine or heroin. And similarly, the desire for it can never be quenched. Those in the building are consistently wandering, looking for someone to tell them that they are beautiful, smart, intelligent, sexy, desirable, and that they match up to the standards of the building. The drug of praise is difficult to ignore when your illness causes you to feel worthless and meaningless, and even that you don't belong anywhere. Now, a little praise goes a long way mentally, and it is not difficult to be standing at the tree, and then all of a sudden, over a few years and a few episodes, you are commenting on how ridiculous it is that those people are happy just eating fruit from a tree. This tactic is absolute pure disinformation. It is belonging without really belonging. It is praise without substance and building one's personal behavior upon the whims of social pressure and desires to belong. This particular lie is terribly destructive and is perhaps the most alluring to someone who is suffering from low self-esteem, isolation, and loneliness because of the emotional difficulties of the illness. That leads me to the final tactic Lucifer employs. If you make it to the tree and partake and even partake regularly, Lucifer knows that if he can get you distracted and listening to the people in the spacious building, he's got a chance. Now this time it's not a matter of praise. No, it's just the opposite. This is the ridicule, scorn, and derision that you have chosen a piece of fruit over everything they have in that great and spacious building. They show you the outward signs of what they call happiness, clothing, cars, status, power, beauty on the outside, and they mock you for your simple beliefs and simple ways. This is not a matter of seeking praise, but being able to stand firmly while others deride and mock you for what you believe. They cast those ideas that feelings are just chemical signals in the body and they don't mean that God exists. It's just something you want to believe. They show you the delicious foods, the fast cars, the alcohol, and fun they are having. Because we as human beings cannot feel another's feelings, but only read external cues, we actually wonder if what they have is better. This wonder, again, is a doubt, is the key to these individuals' success. These individuals actually redefine happiness to meet their own definitions, and sometimes they even define misery as happiness. Now, this is not the happiness of the gospel, but all other counterfeit forms of happiness that the world provides. And when happiness is fleeting through an episode of depression or anxiety, or when the mania is so high that everything feels right, we can easily redefine our value and measure of happiness. 
and it doesn't have to be just one thing. Most often the world's rules of happiness are combinations of praise, ingested chemistry, pleasure, power, and seeking for short-term solutions. So yes, these mocking people come in every form and manner, and they might mock in ways that feel friendly and loving and accepting, but mock they do. However, when we suffer to feel happiness, we can at times begin to seek in different ways or simply even redefine it so that we can obtain it the way we desire. Mocking takes on so many forms and masks and the intent is to bring another into their definition of happiness and in so doing reinforce what they have defined to be happiness and what it truly is to them. The problem with redefining happiness is that it is a hollow shell with no core. That type of happiness always feels not quite right, not quite whole, and always a little empty. That is important, as it will keep you chasing it. Lucifer knows that if he can get you to redefine happiness, you will have great difficulty or never find true happiness, because you are chasing a figment of your own imagination or someone else's. Sometimes when we struggle for happiness, it can feel so out of reach that we just pick a point that is far closer, or even worse, an alternate happiness, and call that our place of happiness. What we don't always fully realize is that we, as spiritual individuals, full well know what true happiness is, because we felt it regularly in our previous pre-mortal life. Our soul fully understands happiness in the truest sense. And that is why happiness redefined always feels hollow. The final lie Lucifer employs is to cause you to redefine happiness in ways that do not match the formula provided by the Lord and his gospel. Any happiness defined outside of gospel patterns, laws, and doctrines will be false and will always feel hollow and empty when compared to true joy. It is so easy to get caught in the trap of seeking happiness in alternate ways because the world offers so many of them, and so many of them seem good, and they can actually even feel good. That is because so often these new forms of happiness rely upon the chemistry of the body and the mind. They rely upon the happiness of the natural man, and then they mix this happiness with small measures of true happiness. And the lie of the altered happiness entangles one so deep that it can be terribly difficult to separate what is true and what is not. These are the four lies of Lucifer and the lies that he tells us. Now, as we seek peace and belonging through the gospel and its countermeasures, it is important to see the lies Lucifer tells us and his subtle but in many ways obvious methods. One must understand that Lucifer has honed his craft over a long period of time. And as much as we might not think it, he can be very patient and almost relentless. His lies are alluring to anyone who has a mortal body, and when you add emotional weaknesses that occur with mental illness, the enticements become significantly more appealing and eventually ensnaring. However, a good defense evaluates the offensive weapons of their adversary, not to engage with them, but to avoid their destructive nature. My heart has often been drawn out to those who have fallen prey to Lucifer and these offensive weapons the lies that he tells them. I have never found anyone truly happy or at peace 
who has partaken of the lies, because his final lie is that they are living the truth. In the deepest part of my soul, I hope that you find the Savior waiting with open arms to heal and cut you from these terrible entanglements. He is the light, the truth, and the only way to true happiness and joy and the peace of eternal life. May you do your part and come to him so that he may do his and run to you. Until next week.